All right, we are going to jump into week two of our series uh, called The Way of the Early Church. And we're surveying the book of Acts. We're learning things about uh, the early church, the first century church, the church of 50 AD, you know, that that church. And um, as we look through, uh, I'm believing for this year, for 2018, to be a special year for God to do great and mighty things. And as I was praying about that uh, around, you know, the 1st of January, kind of anticipating 2018 and, and just praying about it, you know, I just felt like God said, you don't need something new. You don't need something, you know, hip and cool to take the church to the next level. What, what we need is something eternal. We need the eternal truths of God and to grab hold of those things. And so we're going into the book of Acts to look for the eternal truths of God, the way that the early church functioned, the way that they served the Lord, to see the eternal things that applied then that still apply today. Now, the early church, the first century church, was a a beautiful moment in time. And we can't go back there. We can't go live in the early church. Uh, But we can bring some of the principles to today. And uh, last week I talked about it like, uh, I remember the summer that I met my wife. It was really fun. It was a great time. It would be 30 years ago this coming summer. And yeah, time goes by, man. It's quite the deal. Uh, And it was a special summer and it was really neat and, you know, kind of carefree and and living life. And we can't go back there to 30 years ago. Right? You just can't. It's been 30 years. There's things have happened and here we are living a different life. And, uh, the, but the truth is there are some neat things about our relationship from then that we can bring to today. There are some of those beautiful parts of the relationship that we can endeavor to have happen now. And that's how we're going to look at the early church. What are the things from then? that apply to today that we can grab hold of because we can't go back to the first century church. It's not the first century, but we can grab hold of the eternal principles that, uh, that the church should function in. And so this series, we're endeavoring to unlock several powerful eternal principles that we need in order to see God do great and mighty things. Last week, we talked about relying on the Holy Spirit. So the New Testament church relied on the Holy Spirit. They didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of the experience, of course, that we have today. And they relied on the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit as well. And we looked first in Zechariah 4, 6, a very famous verse that's often quoted says this. Um, so Zechariah the prophet says to Zerubbabel, here's the message. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So Zerubbabel was born in Babylon. He was going to bring captives back to Jerusalem and reestablish the city. And so he, uh, he needs might and power, right? Well, the, the prophet says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. 
saying to Zerubbabel, there's things you can do, but you're going to need God to succeed. There are things you can do, but you're going to need God to succeed. You can't do it on your own. And that is true for us as well. There are things we can do, you know. But if we want to see God do something, we must open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. We must open ourselves up to what God can do. And then we went to uh, Acts, and uh, we'll just recap it with Acts 1.8. We talked about a whole bunch of other things, of course, but Acts 1.8 says, Jesus is speaking to the disciples after he has risen, and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they did receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them. And there was an incredible miracle uh, at the Feast of Pentecost where the believers all were filled with the Holy Spirit and given the ability to speak the wonders of God in languages that they didn't already know. And so all these different people who spoke all these different languages heard the message and the wonders of God spoken in their own language. And of course, they couldn't do that in their own strength. They couldn't have chosen to do that. You know, they didn't have like a a committee meeting and say, well, how are we going to get this new faith off the ground? Why don't we all learn different languages? And then we'll say, you know, they, they couldn't have done that. It wouldn't have worked. They needed the power of God. And so they relied on the Holy Spirit. And for us today, when we rely on the Holy Spirit, it gets us beyond what we can do and puts us in the realm of what God can do. And that's where something special happens is when we are fully available and we bring our gifts and talents, but we rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on the power of God. We give room for God to move. And so that's, that was last week. If you want to catch up on that, if you weren't here last week, uh, it's on the website. You can listen to week one this week. Uh, We're going to continue Looking into the book of Acts, the title of the sermon today is Devoted, Devoted. So let's pray, and we'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for our time that we have right now. Father, I pray that you would just be with us, that amazing things would happen, that you would open your word to us, that we could grab hold of your eternal truths and apply them to our lives, live them out, and see the blessings that come. Father, each one of us is dealing with different things and we need a different touch from you. And so I pray by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with just what we need to be able to take a step forward in serving you better, in believing in you more, Lord, and just walking in your ways. So Father, bless us this morning. Let something good happen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Devoted. So we are going to focus on one verse. We're going to read a bunch. But we're going to focus on one. And that verse is Acts 2.42, which is the very next verse from where we left off last week. And it says this, they, so this they is the the 3,000 people that got saved uh, on the day of Pentecost. Those people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they devoted themselves to, to these four things. And we're going to look at those four things today. They devoted themselves to these four things. What does it mean to be devoted to something? That means that if you have to bump something else for that, 
you bump the other thing for it. So if you are devoted to the apostles' teaching, that means that even though the game is on, you still go listen to the apostles' teaching because the game gets bumped for the apostles' teaching, right? Yeah, that's it's a nice thing that the game is on later this afternoon instead of during church, you know? But let me tell you, I missed a whole lot of Super Bowls because of Sunday night church. Went to church on Sunday night. We might have six people went to church. Missed the Super Bowl for years. Now we don't have Sunday night church. It's much more convenient for watching football. But if you're devoted to something, the other stuff gets bumped. That's how you can tell what you're devoted to. You know, are you devoted to the snooze alarm? You know, well, if everything else gets bumped so you can hit snooze, you're devoted to the snooze alarm. The things that bump other things are the things you're devoted to. And so these things that the, uh, the early church were devoted to pushed other things out of their lives. Instead, they focused on the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. And so let's read the next few verses because it kind of fleshes out, out a little bit more and see what life was like in the early church. So then verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So there's miracles happening. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. So there weren't poor people in the church because whoever needed something, somebody else just helped them out. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they were having big group meetings every day. They're having revival meetings, the big group meetings in the temple courts every day. And they're also having small groups. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So every day, new people were believing in Jesus and being brought into the group. So what an amazing time to be alive. You know, to see that happen, how do we get to that place today? Well, I think if we devote ourselves to the same things that the early church devoted themselves to, then we'll be able to grab hold of some of these good things from God. So that's why we're looking at verse 42 and paying so much attention to one verse. So let's, let's go and let's look at these four things. And as we do it, of course, let's see how are we individually doing with regards to these four things and how is the church, the Western church, the evangelical Pentecostal church doing along these lines of these four things. So the first one they devoted themselves to was the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Back then, it was the spoken word. Peter would preach, and they would listen to Peter. Now, it is the written word. Now, we have the Holy Bible. We have the scriptures. Here are the apostles' teachings in the Bible. So the translation to our world isn't, you know, to listen to Peter. He's not here. But we can read 1 Peter and 2 Peter. You know, we can, we can read the written word. So we devote ourselves to the written word. And that's what the early church devoted themselves to, was to seek out and find the truths of God through the teachings of the apostles 
For us, we seek out and find the truths of God through the Holy Scriptures, through the Gospels, through the New Testament, and understanding things from the Old Testament, reading the whole Word of God. And so we can understand the truths of God through reading the Scripture, devote ourselves to the reading the Word of God, the Scriptures. Now, how do we do this? How do we read the Word of God? Now, I think there are different experiences that people have with reading the Bible. Some people read the Bible and you can hear them gasp and you can hear them shout and they're like, whoa, you know, like they're by themselves in a reading and they're making noises and, and God's doing things. And there's other times, you know, maybe you've experienced this where you're reading the Bible and you fall asleep. And you're reading the Bible and you're thinking of something else and you're trying to get something good and just nothing's happening. You know, it's just dry and dead and not there. And we're going to talk just a little bit about how do we read the Bible? Now, there are various times in my life where I've seen, I've seen my life change. Go from one way to another. And on the short list, There's my understanding of how to read the Bible. So when I was first a believer, I wasn't sure if I could trust the Bible or not. You know, I mean, here's this book. People wrote stuff down. How do you know? Maybe it's all messed up. How am I supposed to know? You know, people want me to say a particular thing, but I just don't have the information. How am I supposed to be able to make a determination? You know, I can go along with the crowd, but I want to know the actual truth, not just what the group says. So I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I need to evaluate the scriptures. So I endeavored to study out the, the scriptures and to prove them out verse by verse to see if they were true. So I started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and verse by verse evaluated the scriptures. How do you think that went? <laughs> I found out that I did not have the capacity to fully understand, let alone evaluate the scriptures. And so I realized I had to make a decision. Heavy on the word decision. I had to make a decision on to whether or not I was going to accept the Bible by faith as the holy inerrant word of God or if I was going to evaluate it by my understanding. And I decided that I was going to accept the scriptures as the holy, inerrant word of God, as the authority over me, so that if I disagreed with the Bible, I was wrong and the Bible was right. Before that, when you disagree with the Bible, the Bible might be wrong and I'm probably right. So there's a huge shift in accepting the scriptures as the holy, inerrant word of God. And when you read the Bible as the holy, inerrant inspired word of God, it comes alive in a brand new way. Because then instead of me reinterpreting the scriptures, the scriptures change me. And I begin to learn the ways of God and see the ways of God. And I saw my life change when I chose to yield to the scriptures and believe by faith the word of God as what it is, the holy, inspired, inerrant word of God. And what I found was when I began to read the Bible that way, amazing wonders of God opened up to me. And it was like 
Reading the word was like walking into a mansion. And you walk in and there's this beautiful ornate building with these different rooms and different things going on. And you're just like, wow. And then you see a closet and you open the closet to see what's in there. And it's a bigger room than the room you were in. And there's 10 more doors going to other places. And you're like, whoa. And then you open one of those and it's a stadium. And you're like, whoa. You know? And there's like all these things. And like, I still... When I read the word, find new things and God reveals new things. It isn't something that gets old and that you, well, yep, I guess I know all the secrets of God now, you know, uh, I'll wait to die. Not at all. We're never going to get real close to understanding all the secrets of God. Uh, it's amazing how many things there are in the scriptures because the word is living and active and it's through the Holy Spirit working in us, the, the Bible can just Come alive and show us amazing, incredible things. So we must read the word with an honest, believing heart, and then our lives will change. And we read to discover the ways of God, asking the Holy Spirit to help us understand. So read to discover. I want to talk about a couple of things to avoid when reading the Bible. Um, the first one is avoid simply reading because you know that you're supposed to. This is more dangerous than maybe you think, but it, you know, it, it, sometimes you got to push through and read when you don't feel like it. But here's the deal. If we read when we, and it's just like, well, I'm going to check it off the list. Boy, that's such a, that's such a base small understanding of what the scriptures are. You know, like, oh, I guess God likes me now. I read three chapters today. Well, no, we're there to find the amazing truths of God and to have this uh, epiphany moment and just to see what God has for us. And, and if we're just reading because we're supposed to, we're going to miss some of that. Now, I'm going to ask this trick question. I've asked it every service. I, you, I've asked it before. If you've been here when I asked you, maybe you got fooled with it. So far, both services before have said, somebody said the wrong thing. Are you ready? I am warning you. Be ready. Can you ever really read your Bible enough? Yes, you can. Absolutely, you can read your Bible enough. God is not unreasonable. God wants us to be able to grab hold of the life-changing truths of the word. There will be seasons where you're in the Bible a lot. There will be seasons where, you know, it's maybe not as much. One summer, listening to the Bible on tape, I did the whole Bible three times, the New Testament ten times in one summer. That's an unusual situation. It doesn't happen very often. It only happened to me one time in one summer. You know, now I don't read that much. But that was an important summer for me to find out what was going on because I didn't know and I needed to know what the scriptures had to say. And that was a long time ago. And now uh, I still read, but some days I'll read one verse and it'll just go pow. And just the rest of the day, I'm just thinking about that one verse. Read one verse and it just opened up. Is that Then there's nothing wrong with that. You know, for that day, maybe for me, all I needed was to have one verse and to meditate on it and grab hold of it and go deeper with that verse. Feel free 
to seek out the beautiful, wonderful truths of God, however it works. You know, you don't have to necessarily follow the list and have it turn into a a chore. When Bible reading turns into a chore, we've lost something beautiful. And so we must grab hold of those good things of God and be free. The next one, when we're talking about reading the scriptures, this is a don't you do this. Okay. If you've been reading as a chore, that's okay. You know, there's a way better way than that. But here's the thing you want to avoid. Never, ever, not ever try to get the Bible to say what you want it to say instead of submitting yourself to what it actually says. Never try to manipulate the scriptures to win a point to get your way. Never do that. That's extraordinarily dangerous. Second Peter 3 deals with this. We're going to start in verse 13 and read a little section here. So, it, you know, obviously we're picking this up in the middle, but here's where we start, Second Peter 3.13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Hallelujah. Topic for another day. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So here, Peter is talking about the epistles of Paul that we now have in the New Testament. So Peter is referencing the New Testament before the New Testament has been compiled. Amazing stuff. Verse 16, he writes the same way in all his letters, meaning that the message is the same, that the truths of God are, are universal. He doesn't contradict himself from one letter to another. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So there are ignorant and unstable people who distort the scriptures. Have you noticed that happen? Now, what happens to the people who distort the scriptures, who are ignorant and unstable, and they distort the scriptures to meet them instead of them going to the scriptures? What happens to them? They do this to their own destruction. Don't ever think, you know what would be great is if this was true. I'm going to go find something in the Bible that argues my point. Don't do that. We love the truth and we just want to find out what it is. Don't need it to be a particular thing and then try to argue your way into it being true. Seek the truth with an honest, believing heart and you will find it. Don't try to manipulate the scriptures. The, the word holy on holy Bible is important. Treat the scriptures as holy things. Don't mess with them. Love the word. So the first thing they devoted themselves to was the apostles teaching to us. It's the holy Bible. The second thing they devoted themselves to was the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. 
What does that mean? What does it mean to be devoted to the fellowship? Um, Not to fellowship, but to the fellowship. Well, basically what that means is they devoted themselves to each other. They devoted themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to the group. They were an us. They were we. They were a group. They belonged to each other. Now, in, in today's world, we know Christians know they're supposed to read the Bible. You know, they kind of oftentimes they'll think of it as a chore rather than as understanding that they can, you know, with the Holy Spirit's help, have the wonders of God revealed to them and they can have their lives changed. You know, they don't necessarily see it in those eyes of faith, but we know to do that. So that's how we read the scriptures. But a lot of people don't know that they're to devote themselves to each other. Let's be devoted to Christ, right? Well, yeah, but also the the New Testament church, the early church devoted themselves to each other. This is why I'm stealing this from Pastor Ted at Grace. He said over there they make a de- big deal about preferring each other, preferring the other person. As we walk with God, we prefer others. And let's look at some scriptures with regards to this, devoting ourselves to the fellowship, to the group, to the believers. John 3, I'm sorry, John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus is saying, as I have loved you in your imperfection, with all great forgiveness and patience, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we love one another, It will show people the power of God and it will draw people in. If we squabble and fight and hate each other, it will push people away and it will demonstrate that God is not here. So if we love one another, it will show the power of God. First Peter four, eight says this above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all, how many things do you think Peter could have put after the phrase above all? A lot of great options. Above all, love each other deeply. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What that means is if we love one another and I goof something up, it doesn't destroy our relationship. If we love one another and you do something wrong, well, that's okay. We'll pick you up and you'll do better next time. It's all right. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Your, uh, your relationship is not tenuous, but secure. We love each other. We're there for each other. It's going to be okay. You can goof up. We'll help you up. You know, love doesn't enable a multitude of sins. <laughs> love helps us overcome a multitude of sins. As we help each other and the relationship does not break down. Amen. We come together. We love one another. Romans 12.10 says this. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Did you realize there were so many? And I had to pick from probably a hundred different options of verses on how Christians are to be devoted to each other. This is where I think people misinterpret the personal relationship with Jesus thing. 
Do you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus? Yes, you do. It's not a distant relationship with that God over there. You need to get to know Jesus. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But that personal relationship with Jesus isn't just you and Jesus and everybody else can just deal with life on their own. It's your personal relationship with Jesus brings you into the fellowship. It brings you into fellowship with other people and you have a responsibility to the others. Can I worship God by myself in the woods? Oh, yeah. That's my best place. You know what I mean? I can worship God by myself in the woods just fine. Can I love my brother by myself in the woods? Not so much. They're not even there. You know, can I be devoted to one another by myself? No. We have to come together for that to happen. We have to be in relationship for that to happen. It's part of serving God is being part of the group. So understand this is a massive part of being a follower of Jesus, that we love one another, that we are together. We're part of the group that there is, there should never ever be a lonely Christian. It's just not God's plan. We are all part of us. There should not be an isolated believer. A believer that's carrying their own load by themselves. It's, they devoted themselves to each other. Let's, uh, we already read Acts 2, 44 and 45, but let's flesh that out a little bit more. How did they devote themselves to one another? Acts 2, 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. There were no hungry people in the church. There were no needy people because if somebody needed something, somebody else helped them out. They devoted themselves to one another. They were part of a tight group. Thousands of people, part of a tight group. Now, I'm sure that they didn't all know everybody. This wasn't a family of 10. This was thousands of people in a megachurch devoting themselves to one another. And so when someone saw a need, they met it, but not everybody would see it. There's thousands of people. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. We're going to talk about that more next week as we go into part three, because there's some, some things to discuss along these lines that are important to talk about. Um, but here's the deal. They were devoted to each other. If you're a believer and I'm a believer, we're brothers today. Brothers and sisters right now. You need, you know, like we should be there for each other. It's something that in today's world, in today's Christian world, we kind of miss because, hey, I believe you guys can go just deal with your lives. I'm good. No, we're called to love each other. We're called to be together. And it's a huge piece of evangelism because it will show God to be here and it will cause people to want to be part of it. Now, at the end of every service, you may have noticed this. You pay attention. I do certain things almost exactly the same every time. You might think, doesn't that guy get bored of doing it like that? Here's the deal. At the end of every service, I say something along the lines of, say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord. Right? Here's the deal. I really, 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 really mean that. 
Because why should someone come to church and feel invisible? Why should someone come to church whose, whose heart is breaking and they're putting on a good front have no one care? Should never happen. What does it take to solve that problem? Say hi to somebody you don't know. It's not that hard. Be open. We are to be devoted to one another. It's not part of the Christian culture today. But it's part of the eternal plan of God. And it needs to be part of our culture. We must love each other. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to then to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. How do you devote yourself to breaking bread? You know, like you're walking through Walmart. Oh, there's some bread, you know, and you, I break all the bread. I'm devoted to it. What does it mean to be devoted to the breaking of bread? Well, basically, this was communion, potluck, and small groups all wrapped up together. So it was uh, the breaking of bread is what Jesus at the Last Supper, he said, this is my body broken for you. And so it was the breaking of bread. And they, they recognized what Jesus had done. And, they, uh, and so they recognized the body and blood of Christ. And they did this not with a, a little cup and a little, little piece of bread. <laughs> You know, like a crumb and a, this mini, mini cup. You know, they didn't do that. Uh, we're going to continue to do the little mini cup and the little mini piece of bread. But back then, they had themselves a meal. They ate. You know, the Last Supper was a meal. It wasn't a little bitty cup and a little bitty piece of bread. Uh, they had meals together. They did this both in the large group, their agape feasts, their love feasts, where they ate together. It was like a potluck. And they... It was like our potlucks, only more reverence for what Jesus had done. And they also did this in small groups. They ate together in their homes. They were in, in small settings, breaking bread, recognizing Christ, and recognizing that as we eat together, it builds the bond between us. That we are part of the same thing, because as there's one loaf, there's one body, I break the bread, we both eat, we both belong to the same thing. Now, I love communion services. The first weekend of the month, I'm so excited. I get to do communion three times, of course, because I'm here for all the services. And I got to tell you, it does not get old for me. I could do communion three times every week. I could do communion every day. Uh, it, it's just so powerful. It doesn't get old. But with this breaking of bread, there's a relational component to it. It's not just... Me being thankful for what Jesus has done. It's us realizing we're together being thankful for what Jesus has done. And that's something for me that, that I feel like, oh, we need to have more fellowship times, more connection times. Because I'm, you know, I've, I've got kind of a, a production mentality, you know, like, Let's not mess with all this touchy-feely stuff. People need to be freed from hell, you know, like, uh, oh, yeah, like, don't, we're going to be hugging people. We're at war here, you know. Um, and so I remember as a brand new believer hearing people criticize the church as a social club. 
Have you heard church criticized as a social club? I've heard people say that. You know, they don't care about Jesus. They just want to have their friends and hang out together. Well, here's the deal. Uh, We need to have a fellowship of believers who are well-connected, who are involved in each other's lives. And so doing things like, for example, watching the football game together can be an important spiritual event. You know, going to, yeah, (laughs) I got a witness in the congregation. Who else believes? So, but, you know, that's a, that's a thing. We, we should live life together. You like going hiking? Well, bring some people with you. It's part of devoting yourself to the fellowship and also this piece of the breaking of bread, understanding there's a relational component to it. It's about us loving each other and being connected with each other. That's something that, again, for me, it doesn't come naturally, but it's quite obvious as we read that being connected and loving each other is a huge piece of the puzzle. And the breaking of bread is a greater indication of, and we are connected because of Christ. We are together as children of God. We have a bond between us because we are both believers. We are, we are together brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the church didn't always get this right. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11. (laughs) The early church, you know, people can think, oh, the early church, they did everything right. Oh, I wish we could go back to those beautiful, unspoiled days. Well, uh, let's look at an agape feast, a love feast here in 1 Corinthians 11. This was how their potluck slash communion service was going. Uh, 11 verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. So they're having themselves a potluck. People are bringing good food. Somebody else didn't bring anything. They don't share with them. They just go ahead and eat by themselves, eat their own food. Somebody else is drunk over in the corner, falling down. And, you know, somebody else is embarrassed because they're hungry and nobody will share with them. And this is a disaster. Because we are to break bread together, loving one another, taking care of one another, relating to each other, and it's, it's how it's supposed to work. But it didn't always work well, even in the early church. And so they're just having a party and not thinking about anybody else. When we come together, we need to build that into our culture. And I'm, in, I'm endeavoring, actually, to make a change on this and have more connection activities at the church. It's important. It's a... It's a you know, as it's like, boop, another open the door. Hey, a new thing. And uh, it's a big deal. It's one of the things they devoted themselves to. And then they also devoted themselves to prayer. The fourth one devoted themselves to prayer. So back to something we know we should be doing, right? Uh, they were devoted to prayer. So I'm going to ask you this question again. Can you ever really pray enough? Yes, you can. I'm going to tell you about a... Trick of the devil. Okay, you don't want to be caught up in one of the devil's schemes. One of the devil's schemes is to convince you that serving God is impossible. That if you try, you will fail. And no matter how well you do, you will not satisfy God. Because you can never read your Bible enough. You can never pray enough. You can never give enough. You can never serve enough. You will never be good enough 
for God. Well, let me tell you, once you have given your heart to Christ, you are clothed in his righteousness and you're just perfectly fine. Amen. So you don't need to feel like you're not good enough and you haven't read enough and you haven't prayed enough and you haven't given enough. You don't need to feel that way. You're clothed in Christ's righteousness. But here's the deal. There are beautiful things in reading the scriptures. There's beautiful things in prayer. There's beautiful things in serving and giving. Grab a hold of those things to their fullness. It's beautiful and wonderful. Don't be tricked by the devil into thinking that it's impossible and that you'll always not be good enough in those areas. You can be. We need to be devoted to prayer. Is prayer something that is a treasures in heaven deal? Or is it something that is, has real tangible benefits for this life? You know, do we pray just to say we have, we suffer through it, and then we get treasures in heaven because of our current suffering? Or is it that God does things when his people pray? The reason they saw Acts 2.43 is because they devoted themselves to prayer. So 2.42 said they devoted themselves to prayer. 2.43 says everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. They saw great and mighty things happen because they were people of prayer. God has set it up that way. When his people pray, God responds. When you don't pray, God does not respond. That's how he set it up. We must be devoted to prayer. I'm going to read one more verse before I invite the prayer teams up, and that's Luke 5.16. Luke 5.16 says this, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus needed to go be by himself, and pray, might we need the same thing? Might the, the trials and difficulties of life and the confusions that hit our minds and the weakness that comes upon us, might we need to withdraw and pray just like Jesus did? We must be devoted to prayer because there's a beautiful thing that comes through prayer. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. Obviously, great segue for that. Prayer teams, come on up. We're going to close here in just a moment. As the prayer teams are coming up, let me ask you this question. What if the early church hadn't devoted themselves to these four things? What if the early church didn't really care about the apostles' teaching? They weren't bothered with one another. They didn't break bread together, and they didn't pray. What would the early church have been like? The mean answer to that is a lot like the church today. Oh, (laughs) there's a bite, huh? What if we devoted ourselves to the scriptures, to one another, to being reverent before the Lord in our relationships through the breaking of bread, and we devoted ourselves to prayer? What might happen with us? It might look a lot like the early church. It might look a lot like that. Don't be complacent, be the counterexample, and believe that God has good things for us, that it is possible to walk in the blessings of God. I tell you, Jesus was not lying when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He was not lying. It's actually true. It's the other stuff that weighs us down.
We're going to close in prayer. And I'm going to read a prayer from the Apostle Paul over the Ephesians. From chapter 3. I'm just going to read this. Then I'm going to close. But the Apostle Paul prayed over the church in Ephesus. And it was recorded in the book of Ephesians. And I just want to receive that prayer. And believe God for those things to be answered for us. And then, uh, then I'll segue in and we'll open it up for personal prayer. Well, let's just close with Ephesians chapter 3. We're not going to put it on the screen. You can close your eyes if you want, but pay attention to these words. The prayer of the Apostle Paul, the church. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know how this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that it is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, do strengthen us. Help us to know the love of Christ. Lord, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to grab hold of your truths that we may see your power, not relying on our strength, but relying on your spirit and seeing what your hand can do. We yield to you. We love you, Lord. Encourage us and give us strength. Amen.